Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Since we did our mayoral forum January 26th, here at WCPT, we have been inviting all of the candidates who want to be the next mayor in Chicago to join us on the radio for one-on-one discussions. I'm going to open up the phone lines because for the next hour, we're going to be talking to mayoral candidate Jamal Green. So if you would like to ask Mr. Green a question, if you want to make a comment, you can either text or call us on 773-763-9278. Um, I'm happy to be joined now by Jamal Green. Jamal, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, before we start getting specific texts today, I have been interviewing many of the other uh, candidates you are running against. And I have found interestingly, you know, when we did our forum, and I'm sure all the other forums you've been a part of, the the questions tend to be real big picture. You know, what do you feel about this big issue of the day? Well, what I found when I opened up the text line is that a lot of our listeners have very, very specific questions you know, not just about public safety, but how you're going to do this or how you're going to do that. Uh, let's start with some of the questions that people have texted in. For instance, let's let's start with crime. Let's start with public safety. We got a number of texts, but rather than being sort of big picture, a lot of people wanted to talk very specifically about police. Uh, we got one texter who said... Um, you know, a lot of Chicago police have been accused of abusing their authority, but how do we help those good police who want to continue as police remain safe and out of danger while on the job? You know, it, you've talked a lot about public safety. You've talked about what you would do big picture with the police department, but how do we basically get rid of the bad apples and make sure that the police who are trying to do it right feel supported. What's the best way to approach that? The best way to do that is you have to invest in the real causes of what's going on. Um, we got to have a pure responder unit that is responding to the mental health and homelessness calls, right, of social workers that are solely responding to those calls. You have to put in place a youth intervention department, uh, which we're only ones to say that we would do so. Well, we would hire youth interventionists that will have priority of young people 25 and under. And, you know, they would have priority resources. But how are you going to support? I guess the question is more not just the whole issue, but how are you going to support the good cops who are out there working every day? Well, but here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you don't start tackling the root cause of what's going on, you're going to continue having cases that go bad, uh, more erosion in a police department uh, and the relationship between the police department and the communities. So that's why you need extra departments. And then you got to hold accountable those bad apples. You got to have a zero tolerance policy for those folks who are affiliated to hate groups. You got to find officers who misuse their equipment to impede any investigation. You have to, um, you know, really start to do what's work, hold officers accountable, as well as, um, you know, we, the contract, here's the thing, here's the problem. The thing is, is that 
we don't have much control because of the FOP contract, right? Um, and so when negotiating that contract, um, we must make sure that we're doing what's in the best interest of those police officers that actually uh, are doing well and really want to serve and protect communities. Well, what's um, one aspect of the FOP contract that you would change? Just just pick one thing. Man, <laughs> that's hard. You know how hard that I is? I know. There's a lot. Uh, there's a lot there. But just grab one thing out of the air. Well, you know, I think that, you know, officers should, they should be able to be more expressive. You know, I'll say that. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of officers who may want to talk about things or may want to speak up and talk about their experiences or talk about how, um, you know, the police department can be um, better served. Um, but they, they are not able to. Right. So uh, one thing well, it's kind of a, a militaristic sort of framework. You know, I mean, it's sort of modeled after after the military. And um, I think that that's you know, we don't we don't want those you know rank and file saying anything that's going to embarrass the people in power. Yeah, I agree. But I'm saying what it is, is you got a full muzzle on police officers um, and they're not able to speak up or to talk about anything happening on the police force. And I think that's a problem. Hmm. Okay. Um, we have a, a couple of people who are calling in. Um, if you don't mind taking some questions, Gregory is calling in from Rogers Park. Go ahead, Gregory. You're on with me and Jamal Green. Good afternoon. And, uh, Mr. Green, I met you after the mayoral debate forum uh, hosted by Ms. Uh, Sentita Jackson and uh, Miss Joan Esposito. I think you'll recall me saying hi. Saw you having a great future in politics here in Chicago, perhaps running for for Alderman first or what have you. But I was so hurt when I heard just a clip of you accusing Brandon Johnson of being a fraud, and I didn't hear the rest of the why you did that. I just want you to try to flesh that out. Was it because he doesn't really live in Austin or, or, or what? It's a good question. Uh, let me say this. Brandon Donson has been portraying himself as this person who has um, these lived experiences in Austin, like he has been experiencing gun violence firsthand, like he is the blackest person in this race, and it's been rough and rough for him. <laughs> That's not been the... That's not been the reality, right? And it's an, it's offensive to me because I've actually went through it and I go through it each and every day. I actually lose friends of violence. Brandon Johnson is from Elgin and he moved, moved to Austin. He had one situation on his block because I know the members on his block that support me. Uh, and, you know, he uses the one isolated event where there was one shooting and he's painting himself as the person who has went through it. How, 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 old, how, old, how old was he? How old was he when he moved from Elgin to Chicago? Uh, I mean, I don't remember exactly, you know, the year. That's important. That's a critical, that's a critical fact. That's a critical fact because he came as a child. He grew up in Austin. He did not grow up in Austin. He grew up in Elgin. All right. So well, I want to know the year. We need to find that out. I have to research that. You should know that. Research that. Okay. Hang on. Hang on, Greg. Let's let's uh, Jamal have a chance to answer. 
Yeah, right. no, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with anybody supporting Brandon Johnson. The, the reality is I think they need to do their research more on Brandon Johnson and his background and his affiliation with CTU and his double dipping and how they're stealing teachers union dues. And they're trying to put together this whole progressive framework to try to act like he is the progressive uh, um, candidate for us. Well, that's just not the case. The reality is he has not experienced these things in the neighborhoods. He has not been on the front lines in these neighborhoods fighting for communities, even as a commissioner. Uh, and people in his district don't support him because of that very reason. So fooling the progressive whites up north that, you know, somehow uh, uh, you are uh, you you are trying to fight for black liberation or these neighborhoods um, just to win a seat. Um, it needs to be talked about and exposed as somebody that is actually doing it and have done it all of their lives. Brandon Johnson is not from Chicago. He came in his adult life to the city of Chicago, um, but he does not have the lived experiences in this city. And I talked about it, and that's what it is. All right, I'll find out what how old he was when he actually moved. So we have the facts. <laughs> okay, you can shoot me a text, Gregory, when you when you thank find you, that out. You. And thank you for the call. We need to take a break. We are talking with mayoral candidate Jamal Green. We've got some more texts. We've got more callers, and I still have a bunch of questions that have been texted in previously. We have a lot of ground to cover, so let me be quiet, and we can get to it right after this. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. We have just a few days till the February 28th election for the next, well, it's not a exactly going to be an election for the next mayor, because with nine candidates, it's pretty doubtful that anybody's going to get 50 percent plus one. So let's just say that this coming Tuesday, February 28th, a week from today, we are going to be electing the two candidates who will enter into a runoff that we will have early April to select the next mayor of the city of Chicago. One of those nine candidates, Jamal Green. He was a part of our mayoral forum on January 26th and joins us now to take your calls and answer your questions. Okay, here we go. Um, Jamal, the text that just came in fresh for you. We need to do away with police misconduct. Yes or no, would you do away with qualified immunity? And for the listeners, qualified immunity is... A legal precedent policy that means that uh, police basically get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, they can do things that you maybe would go to jail for, but they can be excused because of the job they do. That's a real oversimplification. Uh, but a lot of people believe that because police have these extra legal protections, that it causes them in some cases to behave more recklessly than they otherwise would because they don't feel that they have to face the same consequences. That's the argument against it. So, Jamal, what do you think about qualified immunity? Well, I agree with what you just said, right? And one of the things that I also talked about is uh, if we remove qualified immunity and, and make them carry liability insurance, um, then it will allow, we'll stop paying $100 million in police misconduct settlements that we're paying each year. We have to remove these protections on police officers and stop paying a billion dollars every 10 years to protect them, taking out bonds 
just to pay um, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in settlements. It's insane. And so we got to hold them accountable. And if they know that they have to protect themselves, um, then the recklessness on the streets, I'm sure, will come to a very uh, minimum. Um, and that's one of the things that um, we do support. You just briefly touched on an idea that has been discussed and an idea that seems to make a lot of sense to me, the idea that police should be required to carry liability insurance. Explain to the audience, how would that work and what would be the upside of that? Well, the upside is that, you know, if a police officer has their own insurance policy um, and then an insurance company is able to assess the liability on police, um, you know, the, the upside is that we're not spending $100 million a year in taxpayer dollars on police misconduct. Uh, and then what will happen is, you know, they can design a system or a board where they'll they'll look at their um, complaints, they'll look at their suspensions, they'll look at the amount of settlements that they've had to pay out, um, and they may say they're too much of a risk to insure, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And if that and if that's the case, then they can't be on the streets of Chicago because what you have is you have a lot of police officers who. Before they kill somebody or after they kill, uh, uh, well, yeah, before they kill somebody, they've already had many different settlements, right? Um, Jason Van Dyke, I think, was probably at a half a million dollars before they gave Laquan five million before he got to that case. Um, so we just got to uh, put something in place so that we can start to make sure that we can hold them accountable. Uh, and I think that liability insurance uh, on them uh, and not the city continue to pay the settlements is a, is a big thing. Hmm. Um, we have a text coming in here. Um, it's a little, the texts aren't always real clear, Jamal, but I think what this person wants to know, uh, they want to know what you would do to curtail the carjacking phenomenon around the city of Chicago. Well, you know, uh, the carjacking is a, is a huge thing, and you have a few different problems there, right? Um, one of the things is the fact that the majority of people that are carjacking are kids, right? You got 12, 13-year-olds that are carjacking. And I have detectives on the uh, on the uh, carjacking unit who are good friends of mine. And one called me one day, and he said, Jay Maul, I have this kid. He didn't carjack eight times. He's 11, 12 years old. And he says, please, can I put him in your program? We don't know what to do with him. All he's going to do is get right. He's in Julie right now. He's going to get back out. He's going to do it all over again. That's a problem that we're not investing into young people, making sure that their spaces and mentoring organizations uh, to grab these young people when they get off uh, uh, of the right track. So that's one of the things we're going to do. Open up schools throughout the day and on weekends with massive mentoring organizations and programming for students and parents. Make sure that we bring back trade and tech hubs, have apprenticeships for young people 13 and up where they're working, whether in a small business, corporation, senior center, uh, and the city will pay for it. Um, we have to invest in young people. So that's one thing. Number two uh, is we'll, we'll, we're looking at um, a way to sponsor um, tracking devices for folks uh, and work with those companies so that um, we can make sure that we get information as quick as possible so that police can uh, uh, track down cars at a more quicker rate. Um, and then uh, um, um, so the tracking devices, uh, young people, uh, and making sure that we're, we're investing in the root causes, I think, are some of the important things that we must do to really tackle what's going on in this crisis. Um, I want to make sure I, I understood you. When you're talking about tracking devices, 
Are you talking about tracking devices that people have on their cars so that if yes. the car is carjacked, it can be, it can be um, monitored? It could be right that we can track down those cars quicker, and then um, that's that's what I'm. I'm sorry, I had went blank. I want to say one more thing. We got to hold these, you know, um, dealers accountable too. You know, Kia. We know, you know, they got the Kia boys out here, and we know it's so easy to uh, carjack a Kia, um, but they won't recall these vehicles to, to make sure that they're putting systems in place um, to prevent that. And we got to hold them accountable too. So we're going to tackle this in a comprehensive state at every angle uh, by making sure if someone is carjacked that we can track those cars down and, and um, investigate and hold folks accountable, that we invest in young people so that they don't turn into carjackers and intervene even after they've done a crime to put them on the right track, uh, as well as hold the dealers accountable um, to make sure that these cars are equipped with the necessary um, um, you know, tools so that they are, are not easily um, jackable. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Steve is calling in from the Gold Coast. Uh, Steve, you're on with me and Jamal Green. Go ahead. Yes, I want to make a couple of points. With regard to qualified immunity, I, I think it, it's much more complex than the candidate would like to like us to believe. I mean, for instance, if you do away with qualified immunity, it undermines the capacity of police to do proactive policing. Because if you're worried about whether or not your pension is going to be intact, someone's going to sue you for your home, your children's educational fund, you're not going to be as likely to go after the bad guys in the way that we would like to see police doing it sometimes. And by the way, if we do away with it, and we say police are going to have to have some sort of a insurance policy akin to what doctors have, then in the very next round of negotiations, guess what the police union is going to do? They're going to demand that you cover that difference in terms of what they're obligated to pay for those policies, or that we, we as a city cover it. Because no one's going, in case anybody missed the boat, no one's rushing to be a Chicago police officer currently. So if we yeah. did away with qualified immunity, imagine what that would do to our recruiting. So either way, we're going to end up paying for it. So this idea that, okay, well, we're not going to be paying as much in terms of civil lawsuits. Yeah, we'll be paying in on the other side because we're going to have to end up covering the cost of what this ends up um, costing officers. Hey, hey, let me say this. I am much willing to pay for that bridge to insurance over a hundred million dollars a year. Cause I guarantee you it's not even 10%. So, you know, if that is, um, the compromise, I'm willing to compromise on that because we won't be paying as much as we're paying right now. We would definitely not be paying a hundred million dollars a year to settle cases. So if we're spending a few million dollars a year to bridge costs of the insurance, I'm willing to do that. Secondly, um, well, this that, is that's predicated on on a false assumption that somehow everything that we pay out in these suits is a function of what police officers do, and eliminating qualified immunity would eliminate our liability in this regard. No, that's absolutely not true. Doctors get sued all the time. They they have they have they have they have similar sorts of policy. That that, that doesn't mean the doctors don't get sued. Yeah, I think I think Steve, where if I understood Jamal correctly, what he's talking about is even if the city has to pay the premiums, that will end up being less because the city won't be involved in the overall payout, which is the assumption. The assumption is that the payout would be limited to whatever the insurance company is. And I know that's not always a hundred percent true, but I think that's, that's the argument with liability insurance. And, it is, and here's the thing. The thing is, is that's what the insurance is for, right? It's the same as, you know, if you, and, and it will be required 
to be a police officer. So it's the same as if you are in a car accident, right? Uh, obviously, if you don't have insurance, they're able to come after you. But we will mandate that the insurance be in place so that officers still have uh, um, insurance in place and they're not, they're not being sued directly. So, I mean, that's the best thing that we could do in the best compromise. That way, we can uh, stop paying all this money in settlements and we'll pay the premiums. Thanks for the call, Steve. Um, we have a lot to talk about here. Um, I think we have about a minute till we have to go to break. One of our listeners texted in. They wanted to know, uh, Jim, all about your professional background. Where have you been? What have you done? Good question. So um, for many years, I've been um, a serial investor. I have uh, different companies from, you know, a solar panel company to a spa to a transportation company, uh, as well as I'm a realtor. Uh, I'm a part of real estate and development. Uh, and so my professional background is, is managing business, uh, managing employees, balancing budgets, uh, helping new startup uh, small businesses get the capital by facilitating micro loans and grants for them. Um, so that's kind of my background. Oh, as well we as, are- you know, advised politically, too. You know, I, I was Lori's first year senior advisor, uh, as well as, you know, I've, uh, as a spokesman for Senator Bernie Sanders on a national level, too. So uh, I've done a lot of political advisement to you nationally and locally. We are speaking to mayoral candidate Jamal Green. We have opened up the phone lines, 773-763-763. 9278-773-763-WCPT. You can text me on that line. You can call in on that line. We're going to continue this discussion right after our break. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We here at WCPT on all of our shows are talking to the various candidates who would like to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago. And just as a programming note, February 28th, a week from today, we are going to be doing an election special. Patty Vasquez and Tita Jackson and I will be tag teaming in and out all night long. We're going to be on the air till at least uh, 10 o'clock at night to bring you um, what information, what vote tallies we have we are um, going to actually uh, be touching base with some people who are out and about at various campaign headquarters. Jamal, what are your plans? Where are you going to be election night? We are going to be at the Sinclair 17 North Wabash uh, for our election night victory party. All right. So anybody who wants to... Um, to join the Jamal Green camp, you know where to be and you know when to be there. Do you have any sense? I know that we've been hearing from the Board of Elections mm-hmm. that early voting has been pretty high, surprisingly high for this election. Have you um, have they given you any sense of when uh, the numbers might be, you know, in to a degree enough to call some of these races? Um, no, nah, <laughs> uh, me know, neither. I definitely see, <laughs> but I definitely see that there's going to be a high turnout and there's going to be a high turnout amongst young people. And, um, you know, telling them this from the beginning is that young people, 3000 young people, 18 to 34, I want to say, um, you know, voted or 18 to 24, one of them, uh, voted in November. 
Um, trust me, there's going to be young people that um, that turn out more young people than any other. Why do you think around. that? And Why think do you that, think that? Because they're because they're ready to decide their future, and they're ready to put in someone who really is going to make the best decisions for their future. They're starting to raise families. They're starting to want to own homes, and, and renting's high. <laughs> Where they're renting, you know, they're having real life adult problems, and it's now time to make sure that they have the right leadership. Uh, and, and you know, they're going to be very key for us come February twenty eighth. And you can't poll them. You can't poll non-voters and you can't poll young people. Um, so, you know, it's it's going to be a, a very shocking one uh, next week. Well, I was surprised at the tremendous number of younger voters who came out for the midterm. And I was hoping that that was going to be a trend that continues. One of the post-election uh, things that I most enjoy doing is looking at the demographic breakdown. Who voted? Where do they live? How old are they? You know, who are the people who cared enough about this election to get up and, and do something about it? I think that's fascinating, but you're right. And I think, frankly, for a long time now, polling has been very unreliable because of what you just said. These young people, at first pollsters were like, well, we can't. They don't have landlines. How are we going to know what they think if we can't reach them? And, you know, then they had the phenomenon of some Republicans advising other Republicans to either not answer pollsters or even worse, lie to pollsters when they called. Yep. Um, I mean, it's and, and I've thought it so amazing in this mayor's race. <laughs> You know, you hear from Lori Lightfoot that her poll shows she's number one. You hear from Chewy Garcia, his poll shows he's number one. You hear from Paul Ballas, his poll shows he's number one. And I'm like, well, and isn't that poll, fascinating? My poll, had me. My poll had me went at 51 percent next week. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So uh, you think that they're. How have you talked to young people? Have you gotten a sense? Have they said have they said to you, you know, this is an election I care about. I'm going to get out and vote, Jamal. Well, listen, I, I push everybody to go follow me on Instagram or TikTok, um, you know, to see what young people are saying. We've actually have gotten over four and a half million impressions over the last 28 days um, just on our social media networks alone. TikTok over a million views in the last three days, right? So, you know, young people are really engaged. They're really engaged. They're paying attention and they're going out to vote. We just took a busload of young people, first time voters to vote uh, on Sunday. Um, and we're going to be doing a lot more throughout this week. So um, even college campuses, you know, I'm doing all their podcasts and young people have been voting. Um, they are excited about voting and new voters as well. So um, we're going to see a groundswell next week. And uh, I can't wait to shock the world. Well, I hope you're right. And it's certainly about time that that young people took the reins of power. But speaking of youth and speaking of age, you know, one of the dings against you uh, is that you're too young. You're you're too young to be mayor. What's your response? That's, that's my look. That's that's a badge of honor for me. Right. When I'm going against a bunch of people who don't have any accomplishments, who are using the same old political rhetoric. Right. Um, you know, when it when they talk about my age, you know, it is um, uh, time for young people to leave. And if you look at every movement in this country, including Jesus, you can look at the Bible, you can look at the Constitution, the founding fathers, the civil rights movement. I don't care where you look. They all were my age. 
they all were my age when they when they started and made their impact uh, on the world. And so um, that's number one. And number two is my accomplishments. I should be judged by my accomplishments. And the reality is, if I can put all of my accomplishments over the last uh, twelve years against everyone's political co- accomplishments in this race combined, just got a Chase Bank to give back a billion dollars to the South and West Sides, and they were redlining communities. There are no politicians who stood next to us. It was a small group of us who shut down 35 branches and pulled them to the table and got them to come out to say, hey, J. Mar Green made us see something different. When businesses were looted during the pandemic, we gave out a quarter of a million dollars to get them open. That was more money than the city of Chicago gave to businesses in any other grant program. When uh, Laquan McDonald or families from gun violence or police violence or uh, um, needed support, who was there to support them and help them get justice and move forward a lot of the reforms that we have uh, today? Food deserts, thousands and thousands of dollars and and for fresh produce given to food deserts um, throughout the city. So I can go on and on about the accomplishments um, that I have by being an organizer, being on the front line of communities, by being a philanthropist. Uh, and the reality is, is that no one in this race um, can put their accomplishments against mine because they've just been in political seats not accomplishing anything tangible for communities. And people don't want that anymore. It's time for real tangible change. I'm speaking to Chicago mayoral candidate Jamal Green. We are inviting you to text and call in with your questions and comments. 773-763-9278. I just got my print edition of Crane's Chicago Business today, and there's an article there on uh, what is going on with the casino. I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about what was published in Cranes. And uh, Jamal Green, candidate to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago, and I are going to talk about the casino deal and other very specific things that you have asked about in the past right after this. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. I am joined by one of the candidates who wants to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago, Jamal Green. We have been talking about a lot of the questions you have called in and texted in. And uh, one of the questions that was texted in uh, last week that I was supposed to ask all the mayoral candidates was uh, what you thought of the casino and the casino deal. And interestingly, today in the print edition of Crane's Chicago Business, Greg Hines, who usually writes about politics, has uh, reported on some potential problems with the casino deal. You know, Bally's got the nod. And they announced that they had a deal with the Tribune because they're going to put their entertainment center where the Tribune publishing plant is, that they had uh, control of that property through a purchase option agreement. And that the Tribune was supposed to be out of there within six to nine months after the deal was signed. The deal was signed eight months ago, and Tribune uh, shows no sign of going anywhere. And apparently, a closer look at the matter discovered that that um, control was not really as clear-cut as we were led to believe. Um, they were supposed to offer Alden some other sites, or if the other sites didn't work out, they were supposed to offer them a buyout. But 
Alden is kind of sitting back, and as Greg Hines describes it, Alden has leverage. It can stall and delay and hold out however much the people at City Hall and Bali's hold their breath until they turn blue. Uh, the article goes on to cite other reporting that while it certainly doesn't allege corruption or bribery, uh, said that there are a lot of questions about this deal and how it went down. It was not, shall we say, a perfectly transparent process. Now, a lot of the contracts have been signed. The next mayor probably isn't going to have a huge um, amount of power to change this deal. But what do you think about the casino for Chicago and the way it was handled? Uh, you know, I disagree with you on uh, the next mayor of Chicago having some uh, control over this. You know, one of the things that we need to do is we really need to audit um, what happened under that deal um, and see what we can do to audit. Um, uh, let me just say in general, I disagree with the deal from the beginning. I disagree with the location. I disagree with Bally's. I disagree with the amount of money that they said that they were going to make because it's bullcrap um, and no casino in the country is, you know, have numbers that are projecting this high. Um, I disagree with all of it. Uh, and, you know, uh, personally, I'm not the biggest fan of, of bringing a casino to Chicago. But if they were going to do it, they should have done it in a, a better location, under better terms, under a better deal. Um, so that's my position on it. Um, I think that, um, you know, uh, this whole deal has been corrupt in the, under this mayor. And I think the mayor was trying to use this for political points uh, to try to win her some votes to say that she was able to bring it after people wanted it for many years. Um, but in reality, um, this is a bad deal. Um, these these uh, numbers, everything that they've given us are lies, um, and we need to pay attention to it. And as mayor, I'm going to jump right on it um, first thing in office. Okay. let's. Uh, you've got a lot of texts coming in here. Let's see if we can get them all in. Hello, Mr. Green. I would like to hear how you would work with Governor Pritzker during your mayorship or how you would like to work together. Thank you. So, Jamal? Well, yeah, well, you know, I, I have a work relationship already with the governor, Speaker of the House, uh, many members uh, in the state. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, um, we need a better relationship with the governor in the city. Uh, and I would look to really forge the best relationship possible um, and try to have our administrations working together much closely, um, more closely than it has been in recent time, um, because that's how we got to get things done, you know. Uh, that doesn't make make me the the hugest fan of J.B. Pritzker. It's about the seat, right? It's about how do we get things done. And how we get things done is having a good relationship, not only with um, the governor, but with the county board president, right? A lot of the things that I talk about and a lot of the initiatives, when I talk about driving home ownership, I had a meeting with the governor um, just several months ago, and I went down to Springfield, and we had a one-on-one meeting, and I talked to the governor about um, – making sure that in his next budget that he really focuses on putting money into home ownership, right? I heard an ad on this today. You know, we need to increase home ownership in these neighborhoods. How do we have 
stability in these neighborhoods when the median income is fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars. We need to bring middle class back to these neighborhoods uh, and really help folks own homes, right? Bringing good paying jobs and doing these things. So I asked him to put more money in the budget so that we can have uh, more down payment and closing cost assistance so that we can pour thousands of people back into the neighborhoods. And on a city level, we're going to use a single family mortgage bond to also uh, um, help folks um, um, own homes in these underserved neighborhoods, as well as create a public bank for the city of Chicago, which I would have to get the nod from the state and the governor um, to allow us to have a bank charter here in the city um, because we can then invest into mortgages and small businesses, et cetera. And all of that profit that comes back from that bank uh, goes back to city services. So the working relationship is super important uh, and I'm looking forward to it and already have been having a working relationship with them. Explain that point in greater detail. I, I've heard candidates before talk about a public bank, but yeah. explain to the listeners what that would mean and what would be the benefit. Well, what that would mean is that the city would basically have its own bank charter, right? And it'll be backed by um, taxpayer dollars. We would essentially um, loan money, right, for mortgages. We would loan money to small businesses. Most of these um, folks in these neighborhoods are already being redlined by the banks, which is why I fought Chase Bank in 2020. Uh, and instead of depending on these banks to, um, you know, invest in these communities when they aren't, we will have our own bank charter that would do so. We will be able to build... Um, public housing, right, uh, and increase our affordable housing supply. We will have our own economic engine where it will be a nine-member board, um, you know, three elected, three appointed by city council, three appointed by the mayor, um, so this fair for, for all sides, um, that will basically, you know, put out loans. Uh, all of the money that comes back to that bank and all the money that goes out will be transparent. People will be able to see every dollar. And then all of the profit that comes in, we'll be able to decide, all right, well, we got, um, you know, the Bank of North Dakota in 10 years, I believe, made like a billion dollars in profit. We will make way more than that because we have, we'll serve more people. So we say, all right, well, we got, here's 500 million or here's a billion dollars. Now what we can do with that money? All right, let's pay down our pension crisis. Let's have, um, put this into a youth program. Let's um, increase home, uh, our affordable housing supply. You know, we would then have profit that will add to the city's revenue. And I think that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. Let's go back to some of these other texted in questions. Okay. This is from Al. Conservatives say they don't want to give Chicago one more dollar because it's corrupt and the money's all wasted. What do you think of a public database so everyone can see where the money goes down to the penny? Accountability to make us all happy. Thoughts on that? I'm, I'm not against that, right? I believe in transparency. And, you know, I talk about how we need to have um, technology in place where people can actually see where the dollars are going, right? Why can't we really have an app? And they've tried to do some, some little stuff here, but they really hasn't, haven't been transparent with the dollars. But an app where we can go into um, the city app and see exactly where dollars have been allocated to, um, you know, uh, who's getting the money, et cetera. You know, I believe in full transparency. Uh, and I will always, uh, as mayor, and that's something that um, I'm definitely open to. A question kind of with a historical perspective here, um, asking whether or not you've done any time, taken any time to, say, study the politics of Mayor Washington or even Mayor Daley. Not, not Lori Lightfoot or Rahm Emanuel, but looking at Chicago's past 
and um, any lessons that you feel that you've learned either about what to do or what not to do from those earlier mayors? Well, I've been taught by everyone around here, Washington, um, as well as backed by Mama Josie Childs, the late, great Mama Josie Childs. She actually just died a couple of days ago. Um, and I was just literally with her a week ago, sitting next to her, telling jokes, and she gave me a $250 contribution, the chair of Hare Washington's Legacy Committee and his best friend. Um, so I've learned a lot from those administrations, from being around the people who are with him, uh, really learning about the um, drive that he had, learning about all of his downfalls. A lot of people talk about Harold Washington and the great Harold Washington, but as a person, he had a lot of um, things and personal things that he went through. So really just learning how he was able to push through uh, and be able to fight the powers that be and move forward a progressive initiative. Um, you know, uh, I've been learning about it for many years. So uh, I've been mentored in, I've, under, I've um, learned a lot from Harold Washington and, and even the daily era. era. And um, every era had its bad moments, but I think every mayor had good things about it that made them um, uh, very liked by the public. Uh, and I think learning from all of those things and putting them together um, would make for a great mayorship um, under green administration. So um, definitely an avid studier, avid reader, as well as mentor by all the people that are around um, the Herald era, as well as who worked for the daily administration. Okay. A lot of people um, not only texted in about a casino, they want to know what you think about this NASCAR race that's coming to Chicago? Down. <laughs> that's what I think. Shut it down. So um, that would be a priority of ours. I, I think it's a ridiculous deal. Um, it is no benefit. I don't see the, benefit, the huge benefit of the city. So you don't see it bringing, uh, like, thousands of tourists to the city of Chicago no. and revitalizing the hotel industry? No, I do not. <laughs> I think that is a, a huge pipe dream, and I haven't met one Chicago NASCAR fan yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about the Bears. Uh, do you think you could keep them in Chicago, or should we even bother? And if they do leave, what would you do with Soldier Field? Well, here's the thing. The Bears, uh, you know, I'm making, I'm a business guy, right? And, um, you know, I've been a business guy since I was 15. And so I really understand um, where they are. And where they are right now is a better deal where they can build up a stadium, where they can own the park and own the concession. Um, and it really, it'll be better for them financially. So I understand that part of the deal. So the problem is, is that, you know, of course, we would love to negotiate to keep them here, but they're not happy here. So even if we they stayed here for uh, a certain period of time, there's going to be a situation like this again in the future. Uh, and we're not going to spend billions of dollars um, to uh, taxpayer dollars uh, just to keep them here for a short period of time. So I don't think that makes sense. If they leave, um, if we don't, we're not able to come to a good deal where everyone has skin in the game and we can uh, commit to each other, um, then we would you know, renovate Soldier Field, spend a few hundred, couple hundred million dollars, renovate it and make it a, 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 a entertainment venue, rent it out to lease it to colleges, um, you know, really make it uh, a, a world class venue um, for Chicago uh, and, and really invest in it. So, I mean, that, that'll be our plan under our administration. 
Um, we've run out of time uh, and run out of uh, texts. <laughs> Thank you, Jamal Green. He is going to be on your ballot if you live in the city of Chicago a week from today, unless you're voting early. And uh, thank you for being here, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for having me.